and tokens of separation, condemnation and separation. And further, we will also look at passages that express in song and in prayer joy in ec and expectation for God to bring judgment on the wicked. Okay, so these are the kinds of passages we'll see in the New Testament. And th this will be, this is unexpected. We usually don't think that we are supposed to give a token to people or testify to people that God's condemnation is on them or that we're supposed to separate from them because we think we're supposed to try to meet with everybody and stay with everybody as, as long um, as is possible until they die when that's not actually the case. And further, on the rejoicing part, we might pray, we might think we have to pray, but we should also rejoice in it. We should have some expectation for the justice of God. Okay, so in the first case, in the case of tokens and testimony of condemnation and separation. The first example comes from Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 and verse 10. Luke 10, 10. This one is a passage where Luke sends out the 70 disciples, not the 12. So it's not just the apostles. These are other disciples, 70 of them, and he sends them out with instructions. Luke 10, 10. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your city which clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sodom in the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will be brought down to Hades. The one who listens to you listens to me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. Verse 16 is a summary that whatever people do against us, they are actually doing it against Christ, and when they do it against Christ, they're doing it against God the Father. And what should we do when they reject us? Walk away verses 10 and following, shake the dust off your feet and, and note, note to them that the judgment of God rests on them. Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. We, now we will see the apostles carrying out this kind of judgment, this kind of token of judgment. Acts 13. And we'll start at verse 48. Acts 13, 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing, glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. But the Jews aroused the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Here again, this token of judgment and condemnation and separation. There was some good response, but also some bad response. This is the twofold nature of the preaching of the word. Some will believe and some will disbelieve. Well, these disbelievers, what did they do? They aroused 
a persecution. They instigated a persecution and drove the, the apostles out of the area. So what do the apostles do? They shake the dust off their feet and, and protest against them, and they move on. And verse 52. 52 is a confirmation that they did not sin. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. They had the joy of the Holy Spirit and they were full of the Holy Spirit in doing these things. Chapter 18. Acts chapter 18 and verse 6. Acts 18, 6. And when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I shall go to the Gentiles. Here too, in this city, in the city of Corinth, they had a twofold response. Some believed and some rejected. And the resistors, verse 6, the resistors and blasphemers, this is what they get. Paul shakes his garments as though we have dust on the garment especially in, in dusty places where they don't have paved roads. They shake the dust off their garments and say, this is what it is that what I'm to doing to you as a token of judgment on you. I'm doing this. Your blood is on your own heads. I did my responsibility. I'm not guilty if you don't believe because I told you the whole truth. Now it's up to you. It's on your head to obey this. You're not obeying, so you've got bl blood. You are guilty of your own sin. I'm clean and now I'm going to the Gentiles. In this case, he had preached to the Jews in the synagogue. They rejected it. And so he moves on to the Gentiles outside of the synagogue. Second John. Second John chapter 10. Second John 10. Go to Revelation and back a few pages. Second John 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching... Do not receive him into your house, and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. If anyone does not bring this teaching, this teaching is what he has said before, especially in verse 9, the teaching of Christ. If they don't bring the true teaching of the true Christ, if they don't bring that with them, then do not give them an avenue in your house to preach and teach, and don't give them a greeting, a Christian greeting, and call them brothers. We should not bring them into our house and call them brothers and give them a platform to teach us, teach our family, falsehood. Don't do that. Separate from them, avoid them, because if you do call them a brother and you do give them a platform in your house to preach and teach their falsehood, you participate in his evil deeds. Here again, we shun them, don't let them come into the house, don't let them teach, and don't call them brothers in our house. We shun them so that we not participate in their evil deeds. And when we do shun them, we have to tell them, why? You are a false teacher, I will not let you bring your false teaching into my house. And one more, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 11. In these letters to Corinth, the Apostle Paul has been teaching the disciples there to keep sound doctrine and sound practice and to avoid false teachers and false practices. And he's been pleading with them, especially in 
Second Corinthians to believe him as a true apostle and to carry out what they should do. But now at this point he commends them because between the first letter and the second letter they did do some good. So he's now commending them at this point in 2 Corinthians 7.11. What is the commendation? The commendation in verse 11. For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you. What vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong. In everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the matter. Here, he called on them to repent from his first letter, and they did. And when they repented, he commends them for saying that they have earnestness, godly sorrow, vindication of yourselves, indignation, like Psalm 119, 53, burning indignation has seized me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Or uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 16, he was walking in the city of Athens, beholding the city full of idols, and his spirit was being provoked within him while he's seeing the city full of idols. So this is the kind of indignation they have. What fear? What fear of God? What longing? What longing to keep the commandments of God? What zeal? Zeal for the things of God. Like Jesus in the house of the Lord in John chapter 2. Zeal for your house shall consume me. He had a zeal for holiness. And then what avenging of wrong. They avenged the wrongdoer. They were avenging, which would include, in the church context, confrontation of the wrongdoer and then expulsion of the wrongdoer. If that wrongdoer will not repent of his sins then just send them away from the church. No more in the church. Don't pollute us. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Okay, now, let's look at a few desires or prayers of judgment. Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11 And verse 9, Romans 11, 9. And David says, so he's quoting the Psalms, right? David says from Psalm 69, Let their table become a snare and a trap, and a stumbling block and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not, and bend their backs forever. David prays, that his enemies would have for on their table a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution. When they're eating and feasting, may it be poisonous food and poisonous drink, in other words. May that happen to them. And may they have retribution and may they have eyes and ears that don't see and bend their backs forever. Because a cripple... By his, by his ailment is showing that a curse is on the world and a disease, the disease of sin has come into the world because if the world were perfect from the time of Adam and Eve, there would be no health uh, problems. There would be no illnesses. But all of these are a part of the curse. So here he's wishing for a curse, a bent back, to be on his enemies forever, meaning a punishment forever. David wishes this. 
Paul cites the Psalms and the Psalms of David to say that even now in our day, in the New Testament, that God saves some and he hardens others. He gives some uh, uh, eyes to see and others eyes not to see. And this is a prayer. Let their table become a snare. Then, uh, we have Ephesians 5, 19, and Colossians 3, 16. In both places, Ephesians 5, 19, and Colossians 3, 16, we have the apostle instructing us, the church, to admonish one another with psalms and other kinds of songs. But he says psalms, psalms. So if we are going to do that with the psalms, a New Testament exhortation to sing and to speak the psalms to one another, the psalms of David include many, many desires and prayers for judgment upon enemies. There has to be room in our theology for that. And we did hear earlier that many of the psalms make this distinction between the righteous and the wicked. In fact, only eight out of 150 psalms only eight out of 150 psalms fails, and it's not really a failure because it's ordained by God, but does not mention anything about wicked people. And then most of the time, when wicked people are mentioned, the, the psalms are celebrating the fact of, about how God's been compassionate towards us and he will punish them, or... They are prayers to punish them because I, Lord, I am innocent. They persecute me, but I'm innocent. That's what the rest of the Psalms do. 142 Psalms, in other words, mention wicked people, destruction, justice, a desire for justice, and rejoicing in justice. 142 out of 150 Psalms. Inevitably, then, if we're going to admonish and teach one another with psalms, it has to include this. And we ought to rejoice in it. Rejoice completely in it. Then, we have 1 Corinthians 16.22. 1 Corinthians 16.22. The Apostle Paul says the following. If anyone does not love the Lord, let him be accursed. Maranatha. Maranatha, your Bible might say, O Lord, come. Or our Lord come. That's what Maranatha means. Maranatha is an exclamation of joy. With anticipation of the return of Christ. From 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. The anticipation of the return of Christ is. Not only that we will see our Lord. And not only will our Lord relieve us of afflictions and persecutions. But also 2 Thessalonians 1 said. That our Lord will punish the wicked. That's what Paul's saying. He's celebrating this in verse 22. If anyone does not love the Lord, let him be accursed. He's wishing and praying for a curse to be on everyone who does not love the Lord Jesus. There has to be room for this. There has to be a place for it. But in order to make sure we are not misunderstood, we do know the Apostle Paul prays for people's salvation. Romans chapter 10, verse 1, is one example. Romans 10, 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them 
is for their salvation. My heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. Generally speaking, because he doesn't know all the people he will encounter among the Jews when he preaches and teaches, he doesn't know who they are. He does pray for their salvation. He wants to find the elect. He wants to preach faithfully so that the elect believe in the gospel. He wants all that. He prays for their salvation. But when the people manifest themselves, when they come out of the woods, when the weeds crop up, and you know the difference between the wheat and the tares, the wheat and the weeds, when you know the difference, then you don't want the, wheat, the tares around. You don't want any weeds around. You want them to be uprooted. And you wish that they were out of the field so that only the wheat were there. That's the kind of wish and desire and prayer 1 Corinthians 16.22 is, or Romans 11, 7 to 9. That's the kind of prayer that we're talking about. There's room for both, and there's a place for both kinds of prayers. Paul, in Romans 10 and 11, is not contradicting himself. He's thoroughly consistent with the rest of the Bible. Another example, Galatians 5, verse 12. Galatians 5, verse 12. Here, the Apostle Paul has been combating the false teachers false brethren of Galatia who have upset the believers of Galatia with a false gospel. This false gospel says Christ plus circumcision. Believe in Christ plus be circumcised and then you are saved. Just do one thing. Be circumcised and you'll be saved. Paul's been preaching against this in this letter. And what does he say? Galatians 5.12 I wish that those who were troubling you would even mutilate themselves. I wish that those who were troubling you would even mutilate themselves. He says that he wishes, he desires, he prays that these people who are going around saying Christ plus circumcision, I wish that when they preach circumcision that they themselves would cut off their organ, mutilate their organ. I want this bad thing to happen as a token or a symbol of God's judgment on them. This is what he says. And he's not sinning in this desire or wish. And though this sounds very, very severe and cruel, it would be akin to people, some people think that the moment you are baptized, you are saved. They don't believe it's faith in Christ's death and resurrection, that that is sufficient to save us from sins. They say, believe in Christ and be baptized, and at the moment of baptism, you are saved. Later, you can lose that salvation, but at the moment of baptism, immersion into the water, that's when you are saved. You're not saved when you believed an hour before or ten days before. You're not saved. You're only saved when you get baptized. That would be akin to somebody today saying, a pastor saying, I wish that th these people who cause so much turmoil in our, our society that those people, when they bap get baptized, that they would drown. That's what it's akin to. As a token of their absurd and pernicious doctrine. That's what Paul did. That's what he said. Prayers, more prayers. James chapter 5. James chapter 5. In James 5, 1 to 6... James is warning the rich not to mistreat the poor. 
He's warning the rich not to mistreat the poor. So verse, we'll pick up at verse 4. Verse 4. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you, and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. The Lord of Sabaoth. Sabaoth means armies or hosts. This is the Lord of armies. He has angelic armies that God can send according to his will and send to punish rich people who do not pay their laborers. But who's crying out for justice? Did you see there in verse 4? The outcry of those who did the harvesting. They are the ones calling out to God for justice. And that, that outcry has reached his ears. And he's not saying that their outcry was a bad outcry. They didn't have justice. They're calling on God for justice. And God says he will hear their cries for justice. And there will be a day of judgment for them. Next, James 5, 5, 16. Another prayer. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. People say, no, no, that prayer is not for me. I, I, it's, that's above me. I can't do that. You guys can because you got, have some maliciousness in you. You got a, a lot of evil from your background. You guys can do that. Or they might say, well, the prophets and Jesus and the apostles, the apostles can do that because they have a special office. They were holy men set aside by God, and only they could do these kinds of things. They could only pray that way. There are people who talk like that as an excuse not to pray for justice. But James' point is very clear in verse 17. It does not depend on the man's office. It doesn't depend on whether you are the son of God, a holy prophet, or a holy apostle. It says in 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He had a human nature like us, and he was a believer like us. He understood the need for justice. He prayed earnestly for no rain, and it did not rain. Then he prayed for rain, and then it did rain. He prayed both for a curse and a blessing. He prayed both ways. Not just one, but both. And one more. 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. 1 John five sixteen. If, if anyone sees his brother committing sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will for him... Give life to those who commit sin, not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make request for this. Do you see that last sentence? There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make request for this. This is meaning don't pray when there is sin leading to death, don't pray. Don't make requests. But if there is sin that's not leading to death, 
then you can ask God, and God will for him give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. Different kinds of sins. So when that sin leading to death is committed, do not pray. Do not pray on behalf of that person. These are clear examples. These are all New Testament examples. We have to come to grips with these. We have to believe them. We have to practice them. If we have a true sense of love, grace, and mercy, and a true sense of righteousness, justice, and holiness, we will make room for both of these basic truths in our Christian life. Let's seek to do so. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen. Lord, do give us a desire to understand, to make a distinction, to have discernment in these matters. May we love what you say about just love and justice. May we long for it. May we act in accordance with it. And may our thoughts conform to your thoughts. May we be able to say that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall not pass away. May we believe in these words of Christ and the words of his apostles. In Christ's name, amen.